morning, everyone. It's a great honor to be with you today. We've um, really loved this congregation ever since we were at Freed Hardeman and come visit with um, Daniel and Tyler Boyd and then with Abram. And we, we just uh, have always uh, had a, a great place in our heart for uh, the congregation here at Bible Branch. Uh, the brother read for us earlier um, from Acts chapter 8, and that's where I wanted us to start today. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is a passage that we normally turn to whenever we talk about the fact that it's not just the leaders in the church or the preacher or the elders that are responsible for sharing the gospel. And when we look in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we see that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. If we think back previously, those who were scattered were everyone excluding the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, um, and in this persecution, a great number of people left Jerusalem to go and preach the word. And as, the, as they were going, they, they couldn't help but share the gospel. They couldn't help but share the good news of Christ wherever they went. And um, as we think about, you know, some of the, the time that we've had in New Zealand, we've been there about four years now, and we're, we're grateful for that time, and so grateful for the congregation here and, and other congregations for supporting us. You, for someone to be able to go and preach the gospel, there has to be someone willing to send them. And so about 17 hours ago, because of the time difference, um, congregations in New Zealand were worshiping God, and there are those there that we have been able to reach with the gospel because of the, the help financially and the spiritual support, the prayers and encouragement that you've given us. So we're incredibly grateful for that. And I'm looking forward to presenting in the adult Bible class hour um, the, um, some, some slides, some pictures, and um, some, some, some other stories that are taking place in New Zealand of people that are obeying the gospel and, and becoming a part of the Lord's church that they can find in the New Testament. Generally, when um, I guess a missionary comes around, um, what people, at least from what I, I've seen in my experience, people think, you know, this person probably knows a lot about evangelism. And we might be able to get them to talk to our congregation about, you know, how we can be doing some of, you know, some, some evangelism here. And, you know, thinking about Acts chapter 8, it is every Christian's responsibility to share that message of Christ. It's not just up to the preacher or just up to the elders. But as we see that example, everyone went forth sharing the word. Now, not everybody's going to have the opportunity to, to stand up here and to preach. Or not everybody might be comfortable leading a Bible study. But we all have a, a responsibility to the truth and to those people who are around us who don't know the truth. And I want us to have a look today in a passage that we're probably very familiar with. It's Acts chapter 2. Um, some people have called this the hub of the Bible. Everything before it points forward to Jesus and his establishing of his church. And everything after it kind of reminds us back of when the church was originally started. And, and today, whenever we decide what we're going to do in our congregations, we look back to that New Testament church to find our pattern. So as we look in Acts chapter 2 today, I think we can look and see some examples. We can see some characteristics of evangelism and, and how our congregation and how us individually can be doing it. Sometimes I think we, we talk about the church. Right? We, we, we love talking about the church, and that, that's great because the Bible does. Jesus talks about how much he loves the church. If you think about Ephesians, the whole book is about how great and wonderful the church is. But sometimes when I think about the church, I think of this far-off abstract concept um, you know the church it's a it's something that's far away but when we think about the biblical definition of the church the the church is the body the church is each individual member making up the body of christ so when we think of the church and what the church ought to be doing ultimately we're saying this is something that i need to be doing as as a member of that body and those people that are around me as members of the body should be doing as well so when we think about evangelism i think it's a great place to go and look in acts chapter 2 now, certainly some of the circumstances were different in this, this place, but what I want us to do today is to find, I guess, three or four points from Acts chapter 2 
They all begin with the letter A. They taught me that at Free Hardman, an easy way for me to remember points, but make them all start with the same letter. Um, and so as we think about this, what we're going to do is read part of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to, to see how it is that the, the people that didn't know Jesus came to know him. What, what happened in this, in this case? So I want us to start reading in Acts chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 13. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Ultimately, we can turn to this passage and see that the apostles received that promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had, had told them to wait in Jerusalem for in Acts chapter 1, and that John the Baptist had, had initially spoke of. And so as they're waiting in Jerusalem, they're waiting and the day of Pentecost comes. There's a lot of, um, if you wanted to go and look at, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, 15 to 16, we can see that the day of Pentecost was a Sunday. So Jesus rose from the dead on, on the first day of the week, and then the church was established on the first day of the week. And we're so grateful to be able to meet here today, just as saints all around the world do, meet on the first day of the week and remember Christ. As we think about this, this was something that was incredibly astonishing. The apostles and the people around them recognized it, that they had not studied these languages that they were speaking. We read a big, long list of people from different places, and they were all amazed that they were hearing their own language being spoken. Now, when we talk to someone today, maybe from a, a Pentecostal background about speaking in tongues, this is a great place to start to show them that these individuals were speaking real languages that the hearers, the audience, was able to understand. And so when we talk about tongues, ultimately we're talking about languages that, that people um, haven't ever studied before but are able, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to speak. And when we look at this passage in verse 12 it says that everyone was amazed and perplexed now ultimately today we know if we go and look at first corinthians 13 that the gifts of the holy spirit the miraculous happenings that the apostles and the early church was able to do that's not available to us today we have the complete word of god we're able to turn to it and to show them god's full revelation and so we have different way of being able to amaze people now these apostles astonished this group of people they, they amazed them with what they did but we have a, a separate way, a different way of doing that. How can we astonish people as Christians today? I want to ask us the question, how, how different do our lives look than, than the people who wouldn't claim to be Christians? Or the people that might claim to be Christians, but we know that they're not following what the New Testament teaches us. How do our lives look any different from them? How about our behavior? Are we able to astonish people with the way that we act, the way that we live our lives? Are we, are we astonishing people or amazing them with our giving? Or with our love for our, our brethren? Do they look at us and say, those people at Bobby Branch, they love each other. There, there's, not something, you know, there's nothing that, that they couldn't do for someone else to, to take care of somebody in that family. Do they recognize us as a, as a family? The family of God. Do they, they recognize and are amazed by our commitment to biblical truth? 
that no matter what we find in Scripture, no matter what our, our parents or our grandparents or a preacher might say, we want to stick to what the Bible says, no matter what. And we're each all dedicated to learning what it says and, and conversing with one another and trying to figure out how we can follow God and follow His will. Are we committed to biblical truth? Are we astonishing people in that way? Just as the apostles astonished these individuals in Jerusalem that day with the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we also can astonish with an aspect of the Holy Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. We might be familiar with that. As, as kids, we sing that song to learn what the, the fruits of the Spirit are, love and joy and peace and patience. We might not have the miraculous gifts of the Spirit available to us today, but we do ultimately have the fruit of the Spirit. We know that when the implanted Word, is able to, which is able to save our souls, from James chapter 1, which is the Word of God, comes into our lives, and when it starts growing, we will show the fruits of the Spirit. Whenever things happen that are, are difficult and, and trying, do people see a peace in our, life, in our lives that is only explainable because we know Jesus and because we know the, the perfect peace that he provides? When, when we you know, really don't have many reasons physically to be joyful, do people say, you know, that individual is, is full of joy and he, he just radiates the love of Christ? So we have an opportunity to astonish people today, just as the apostles did. Um, and the Holy Spirit is involved as we study God's word and as we know how to follow him and the fruits of that spirit are seen in our lives. But what happened next wasn't just that the apostles amazed these people or astonished them. They actually started preaching. I think many times we hear the phrase, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And, and I appreciate that because you certainly don't want someone to preach you a sermon and then you see them living their life in a way that's adverse to the gospel. But ultimately, people seeing our good example is not sufficient for them to be saved. They need to hear the gospel of Christ. Now, when the apostles did this, they didn't just say, look how, look how wonderful this is that we're speaking in these languages. Look how great we are. Look at our example. You know, They weren't activists trying to to push some, some agenda. They wanted people to know about Jesus. And so if we continue reading, let's, let's read the sermon that Peter gives. I, I imagine that some of the other apostles would have been preaching as well, seeing that they were all speaking in these, in these different languages that people can understand. But let's see what, what Peter had to say. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So our first point was we have to amaze people with the way we live our lives. The second point is we need to address the issues and the fact is that Jesus is real. Jesus has lived on this earth. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. So Peter addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh will also dwell in hope. 
For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made me to know the paths of life. You make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he himself died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And I'm not sure if Peter was able to finish his sermon because at this point, the, the Jewish brethren who were there all together were cut to the heart and said, what do we need to do? How do we respond to this message that you've given us about Jesus? So ultimately, we, we must astonish people with the way that we live our lives as Christians, but it doesn't need to just end at us giving them a good example. We need to teach them. We need to advocate, or in this case, address the issues and teach them about Jesus. Let them know that Jesus was prophesied all through the Old Testament, that this was God's plan throughout eternity to save mankind. As we think about this, I think it's really interesting when we look in um, verse 21. Now, many of our denominational friends will read this and say, well, this is, this is ultimately what we need to do to be saved. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But when we get to the end of Peter's sermon, Verse 37, when they, were, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter, Peter doesn't say, I already told you what to do. Call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. He lets them know how God has called them. And then he lets them know how they need to call back to God. I want us to notice something. If you've, I don't know if you're um, keen on, on writing in your Bible. But if you, if you are, there's a good passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that, that can really, really help you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14. Now, when Aaron and I first started talking about um, going to New Zealand to work as evangelists over there in the church, um, a lot of people around us, people from denominational backgrounds, would say things like, that's amazing that you've been called from God to go do that. Or you might have heard somebody talk about their calling before. Um, When we look in Scripture, however, and we think about the calling that, that each of us has, it's not that God has called up anybody on the phone and said, you know, I want you to work with orphans, or I want you to work in the hospital. Or I want you to, to go to New Zealand. Or I want you to go to Africa and teach the gospel. That, that's not how this calling works when we want to find out what the Bible says. We can turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Let's start in verse 13 for some context. It says, But we ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, to, to sanctification in the Spirit, being made holy by the Holy Spirit, and also... Knowing the truth, he called you to this, and how did he do it? Through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not individually called by God to say, you need to go and do this. You need to go, and I think you'll be really good at this. But God calls everyone today through the gospel. When we think about what that is, Paul spoke in in 1 Corinthians 15 and told the Christians that he delivered to them what was of foremost importance, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised according to the scriptures. And he called what that was that he preached to them the gospel. 
So when we ask the question, how are we called by the gospel? We're called every time we hear someone teach us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I think it's amazing if we go back to the book of Acts. God calls these people through the message of Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And how does Peter ask them to respond to that message? If we continue on, I guess the first aspect of this, we need to astonish people, just as the apostles did. Um, We need to advocate for Christ, but then we need to call them or to appeal to them to action. That's that's exactly what happens, starting in verse 37. Um, So we read 37 earlier. We're, We're very familiar with 38, aren't we? And I think that's great that we need to be, but we need to be familiar with the rest of this chapter as well. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Notice this, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This same Peter who preached this message later wrote 1 Peter 3, verse 21, that tells us that baptism, which was very similar to, to what happened in the flood, Baptism now saves us, not as removal of dirt from the flesh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we must notice that as God calls us through the gospel message of death, burial, and resurrection, how does he expect us to respond? Through baptism. And when we think about what baptism is and turn to Romans chapter 6, ultimately it's a death to self. It's a burial in water and resurrection to walk in the newness of life. And so God is not expecting us to do anything that he hasn't already done. And so we're, we're so grateful for, for Jesus coming to this world. And we remember the things that he did. We take of the Lord's Supper. We think about his death. We remember the fact that we're, we're here today celebrating the resurrection. And we can celebrate Christ's resurrection and ultimately know that we're celebrating our own resurrection and looking forward to that day when we'll all be together in heaven. So when we speak to people about evangelism, it's not just about having a good example. It's ultimately not just about telling them about Jesus, but appealing them to act in the same way that Jesus did and follow his example in in dying to self, being buried in water, and then being raised. And so we we appeal to action after that. And as this might be where sometimes we stop. But if we continue reading in Acts chapter 2, and a passage in this chapter that's one of my favorites is verses 42 to the end of the chapter. What we see here, if we were going to continue on with the A's, I think we could say this is the place where we we teach those new Christians to assemble with other Christians. Um, What is someone called whenever they're first baptized into Christ? If In John chapter 3, Jesus uses the terminology of someone being born again. If somebody's just been born, you know, they're they're an infant, they're a baby. Uh, Peter talks about how as an infant would desire the pure milk of the word. So as an infant, you know, what, what do we expect from an infant? Probably not all that much. Probably like my daughter's just making a lot of noise in the worship service. Um, but when we, when we think about this, we have to take care of those people. We have to help them. We have to help them grow. We don't just say, all right, I'm going off to work today, baby. Have a, have a great day. I'll see you tonight. You know, it doesn't work that way. We, we change our entire schedule. We change our entire lifestyle to take care of that precious child. And as someone comes to knowledge of Christ, we need to do that as well so that they can grow and ultimately come to maturity in, in Jesus Christ. There's a song that we sing, um, I'm not sure if it's in the songbooks here, but it, it's called, we're, we're part of a family who's been born again. Part of a family whose love knows no end, for Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're a part of a family who's on its way home. So as we think about this family that we are a part of, 
what is it that binds us together as a family? Generally, we might think of, well, that's, he's my blood relative. You know, that, that person, we're blood. And people might say that blood is thicker than water. But I want to say today that Jesus' blood is thicker than any, any physical blood that, that we might share with those who are in our family. And what binds this family together in the church here and the church all around the world is the blood of Christ. We've remembered that this morning, and I want to encourage us this week to, to think about our, our family in that way, to help those who are still growing to continue to grow. And each one of us needs to be continuing to grow, whether from the, the newborn infant in Christ all the way up to the elder. We continue growing and learning more about God. As we think about evangelism, as we think about the fact that we send people around the world to go and to teach people, you know, that needs to be happening here as well. But how can we do that? It first needs to start with a great example. First needs to start with people seeing that Jesus has changed our lives. Secondly, we need to see that we've, we've got to teach them about Jesus. We have to tell them the truth of the gospel story. It's not enough just to be a good example. After that, because of what Jesus has done, we need to appeal to them to act, to become a Christian as well, and then to assemble with other Christians so that they can continue to grow and they can worship God in the proper way as we find in the New Testament. I want to ask us today, if... There's probably a few different groups of people here. Maybe some here who haven't yet answered God's call. The way God calls us today is through the gospel. If you haven't answered that call, we know how to do it. We've seen it today. We, we call back. We let him know that we, as individuals, are not able to save ourselves, that we are incomplete without Christ. And how we do that, we, we, we repent of our sins. We tell him that the way that we've been living our life isn't the right way to live. And so we need to follow him. And because of our call because of him calling us through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. That's exactly how we call back through baptism. And as this passage has promised us, baptism offers us the forgiveness of our sins. And we're added to the family of God, as we see later on in this chapter. If you haven't had the opportunity to do that, please, please let it be known that you need to do that. Talk to, I'm sure there's plenty of people here willing to study the Bible with you to tell you more about that. Maybe some of us today have, have been Christians for a while and have maybe fallen a little bit away from, from what we need to be doing. Maybe we're not as enthusiastic as we need to be about the love that we have for Christ. Maybe as one of the congregations in Revelation, Jesus said, you've lost your first love. Uh, I hope we haven't done that, but today if there's anything that you need, anything that the elders of the congregation here can help you with, please make it known as we uh, stand and sing our invitation song.